Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Drop Pass Podcast. What's up, Chief? Hope you're ready for another episode featuring the hottest topics from the NHL front. One of them being Tate McRae's appearance in the NHL All-Star Weekend, of course, but as you could imagine, we'll be covering the first two unofficial deadline trades that took place just last week as well. The big coaching change announcements that came out of LA and the Long Island just a week ago. Without of course forgetting the most recent Hockey Canada drama that is directly linked to a handful of well-known names from the world's top league. So, all in all, a lot to unpack once again, if I can say that myself. The NHL All-Star event is also in the books now, which means that it's time to officially head towards the final portion of the current NHL chapter. So. Things will start to heat up and I aim to stay on the edge when it comes to all that's happening across the Atlantic Ocean, so make sure you tune in each week to not miss out on any new updates when it comes to the best hockey league in the entire globe. But that's the intro for today, let's fire up the engines and kick this thing underway. Steezy, you know the drill. Without further ado, let's get go. Alright beautician, you already know the drill by now, so we're just going to cut the nonsense and we'll head towards the first topic of today's show. Unfortunately last week my computer that I've had for a couple of years now gave me its resignation papers out of nowhere right before the weekend and since I couldn't get it up and running before Monday, I wasn't able to upload the new episode, so I'm really sorry if you were expecting to see a new episode last Monday, but It meant that I had to stop whining and get my ass to the nearest electronic store to get myself a new operating system employed. So, with that, we are right back where we are supposed to be, aka the eye of the storm when it comes to National Hockey League hot topics. And this time, we happen to be pretty blessed in that regard since we got lots to talk about from the recent trades and coaching changes to NHL All-Star Weekend and the most latest Hockey Canada scandal, as I said. So once again, I hope you have your popcorn ready, because we are in for another quite an eventful 30 to 40 minutes of hockey talk. And like I said a moment ago, the gloves are already off, so let's not waste any more time and head right into our first topic, which happens to be the overhauled NHL 2024 All-Star Weekend itself. And for starters, I gotta say, thank you NHL. Thank you. Really, for putting in the effort to really try to make the All-Star Weekend great again after it becoming the biggest who-gives-the-fuck event of the entire NHL calendar year. Like actually, it had gotten so bad that even Steve Wonder would have turned his TV off if he would have happened to be watching that piece of junk. But this year, we saw a return back to the old days featuring the NHL All-Star Draft, which ended up being quite a complete cringe fest, if I'm completely honest, but at least you can build upon that and make it even more entertaining for the following years. Celebrity coaches brought their own element into the mix as well, but as you could guess, already in advance, the main plot was that each captain chose their teammates to start things off, so that whole spectacle ended up being quite an anticlimactic event as a whole, but 
at least we got to draw at Tate McRae, who was the clear MVP of this year's All-Star Weekend. And by the way, Cole Selinger, you fumbled the bag big time, bud. But yeah, the draft was just a commercial break cringe fest with few celebrity faces attached to it, but luckily the mood changed once we headed to the actual All-Star event itself. And I was anticipating to see most of the guys taking part in the action on the second date, but unfortunately it ended up being a tale of just 12 names and I certainly ain't complaining, but I would be lying if I would say that I wouldn't have enjoyed seeing the rest of the guys show off their skills as well in addition to the 12 handpicked names, but at least we got to watch some of the best names in hockey challenge each other in the elimination format. The events themselves were an upgrade over the previous few clown shows, and in my opinion the only big miss was the passing challenge, which kinda was just a back-and-forth skating drill, spiced up by a few random pucks and bunch of small boxes that were meant to resemble some kind of a pass receiver, but I think that overall Nikita Kucherov's performance kinda summed up all of our thoughts, so I really hope that they make changes to that event next year and truly try to showcase the passing skills of each player both on the forehand as well as on the backhand in the next coming years. But other than that, I think the skills competition was an overall success despite it being limited to just 12 names, so if I would need pick, I would suggest that each name getting selected to the All-Star Weekend would get their chance to advance from the first few rounds, because some names that get inducted to the All-Star game may never get to experience it again, so if that happens to be the case, I'm certain that they would be willing to show more effort than what Kuch did this year, especially if we're dealing with a 1 million US dollar prize back. In my eyes, that would spark even more competition between the guys, which could result in actually seeing the best sides of these players when being challenged by the other pros. So, from that point of view, I would tweak it just a little bit more and allow the rest of the names get their chance as well in addition to overhauling the passing competition once more. But those are my overall thoughts when it comes to the skills competition. Overall very entertaining and challenging in many ways which I enjoyed, and the progression throughout the competition was a welcome addition, so hopefully they continue to build upon this and don't just copy and paste this entire thing for the next few following years. The games themselves were surprisingly even despite the fact that no one knows what defending means when the puck hits the ice and the overall tempo stayed up there all throughout the three games so I was very pleased by the on-ice product in that sense as well, although we all knew that the team Maple Leafs was going to take it on their home ice thanks to their boosted effort in both of their games. So overall I would give a solid A- for this year's All-Star Weekend guess we saw a major improvement in the overall product compared to past few years, and in addition to that, the crowd in Toronto was tremendous and kept up the energy all throughout the weekend, so big ups for the fans as well who persistently kept the atmosphere alive in the Scotiabank Arena during this year's All-Star Weekend. But in the midst of all the All-Star action, NHL Commissioner Gary Bedman dropped us a bombshell and announced that NHL players were not only possibly going to make their return to the Olympics, but that the NHL had planned to host a four-nation international tournament in 2025 instead of the annual All-Star Weekend. And this is huge news for both the fans as well as the players, because we've been drooling for this announcement for years now, 
and now that it's seemingly becoming reality again. I gotta say that I'm still in a bit of a shock and not quite sure if I should believe it or not, because last time we saw NHL players on the big international stage, not just the world championships, Teemu Selänen was one of the top point producers in the tournament, so all you young bucks who are just starting to hit puberty, it's around the time you were born and right after the dinosaurs disappear from the earth. But at least as of now, if we can count on Uncle Gary's words, it looks like we're about to see NHL players in a limited international setting, even before the launch of GTA 6, so I am extremely pumped about it and truly hope that nothing ends up disrupting this process and we get to see the US, Canada, Finland and Sweden face off in the winter of 2025. And obviously you can't say that it's going to be full on best on best without that one country that is currently banned from all international tournaments. But like Gary said during his speech, the NHL aims to implement the back and forth rotation between the Olympics and the World Cup of Hockey back in their calendar. So this is meant to be just an appetizer for what's about to come. And I'm completely fine with it if we in fact end up seeing best on best tournaments making their comeback sometime in the future. The tournament itself will be held on the North American soil, as you could imagine, and the main restriction in this is that only NHL players will be eligible for the tournament. So, for example, the Finns won't be getting any boost from Europe, and neither do the Swedes. And the tournament is meant to replace next year's All-Star break, if I've fully understood the idea behind it. And the goal is to jumpstart the best-on-best international schedule, and to get the NHL players in the 2026 Winter Olympics, which will be held in Milano, Italy. Then after that, two years later, we could have the return of World Cup of Hockey featuring the top nations plus other miscellaneous teams like the Team Europe and the Team Under-23, which we saw back in 2016 when the tournament was held last time. So all in all, if in fact this ends up becoming reality, the hockey fans around the world will be treated with the best possible catering of pro hockey and I cannot wait to see how this project develops that has been under construction since the year 2016. And there is still plenty of hurdles to cross before we actually get to see if this thing ends up materializing, but since this has already been brought up to the public, I've gotten my hopes up, but we'll see if the IIHF, the NHL and the Olympic Committee can finally come to a mutual terms and find a way to get the best hockey players on the planet competing against each other on the international ice once again. But that's that when it comes to Gary B's latest announcement regarding the best-on-best action on the big international stage. Next on the platter though, we will have two major coaching changes and the first major trades of the spring season involving two former Flames, so let's go through those next before we head towards the final topics of our today's show which will, for example, focus on the 2018 World Junior Scandal and its aftermath in court. But if you've been on this ride for more than a week, you are fully aware of my romance with the New York Islanders and their general manager, Lou Lamoriello. And purely due to his presence behind their big desk, I've been able to establish a bi-weekly segment called What's New with Uncle Lou. And this week ain't an exception since we have another story to tell from our favorite elder statesman called the Old Gentleman's Club. Many of you guys should be familiar with the name Patrick Rua. 
both from the ice as well as from behind the bench. And this chapter solely focuses on him becoming the right-hand man for the old grumpy Uncle Lou. The story begins from the spring of 2022, more precisely January of 2022, when Barry Trotz was still standing behind the aisles bench, but had to take a leave of absence to deal with personal family matters, so his associate Lane Lambert had to take his place and continue leading the Long Island reps towards the postseason. Well, a couple months later, when Trotz has made his return behind their bench, the Isles ended up falling on their ass in the final meters of the NHL regular season and had missed the postseason for the first time in four years with Trotz standing behind their bench. Well, this is completely unacceptable, said the grumpy Uncle Lou, and called Big Trotz to his office and told him to pack his bags and head towards the nearest exit out of the UBS arena. And to remind you folks, Lou himself had just brought in names such as Jack Parisi and Teno Chara to strengthen their squad for the season, and in order to bring more speed and skill to their otherwise old and uninspiring squad that pretty much has stayed the same ever since the 2022 trade deadline. Notice the sarcasm, by the way. But nevertheless, Trotz was appointed there to turn chunk metal into pure gold, and since he wasn't able to turn potatoes into lemonade, Uncle Lou told the media that he wasn't the right man for the job and was sure that the team was in need of a fresh voice that could make that miracle happen. Or at least, that was basically Lou's mindset based on what he had seen from Lambert earlier that year. Well, things took a turn for the better the following year and the Owls returned back to the playoffs to face the wounded Carolina Hurricanes in the first round and big expectations were set for Uncle Lou's punch for the postseason because the veteran leader, by all counts of the term, had made bold moves in the offseason and later before the deadline, and names Alex Romanov, Hachum Fashing, Nikita Shoshnikov, Bo Horvat, and Pierre Engvall were supposed to be the guys that would make sure that the Islanders would be carrying the cup over the Hudson River in June, but wah, wah, wah. The Isles completely shut the bed and were headed to the golf courses right after their first round matchup against the Kings. Well, tough go, said Uncle Lou, and made sure that all unnecessary moves were kept to minimum during the offseason, purely based on the fact that this team was so close to hoisting the cup. Better move, am I right? And by the way, if you want to dwell deeper into these stories, you have to go through the previous episode show notes, because We've covered all loose recent highlights from the past couple of years. But let's carry on with the story. Well, then new season kicked off in the fall of 2023 and the team was absolutely blooming with enthusiasm, knowing that this was going to be their year because the team had stayed the same and everyone knew that they were going to have a place in the same retirement home as Uncle Lou himself because this was a one happy family that wanted to stay together forever, and Lou showed that by giving away lifetime contracts to even fault-line plugs. That's generous, am I right? So yeah, if you didn't know, Uncle Lou is a well-known philanthropist inside the NHL community, and players respect that side of him. But this time the start, for some odd reason, didn't look quite the same as in previous years where they would just gather around their own crease area and block shots alongside their two great netminders. This time they let the opposing teams actually score and win games, 
because the Islanders hadn't learned to play that much offense through their defensive heavy coaching scheme. This resulted in losses piling up on their win-loss column and quickly the loose Isles had fallen out of the playoff picture and the All-Star break was quickly closing down on them. Then, Uncle Lou remembered. Last year I made a big change and look what happened. We almost won the Stanley Cup. I gotta change something this year again, but what could I do? Well, he ended up asking his wife for some advice who told him without even realizing what he had asked from her. I liked Mr. Trotz. He was always so polite and looked really cute behind the bench when he got angry. (laughs) Which made Lou wonder, who the fuck fired Barry? And who's even coaching us? Which made him look into his staff sheet, call Lane Lambert and tell him that whoever had hired him in the first place would also get kicked out and so had ended the romance between Barry's old associate and Uncle Lou, whose dementia was really starting to kick in more and more. A couple days after the decision to fire Lane was made, Uncle Lou was looking at all photographs with his grandchildren when he stumbled upon a picture of great Martin Brodeur who made him think about his most fierce rivals from back in the day when he remembered that he knew a tough son of a bitch called Patrick Rua, who used to coach the Avs in the early 2010s and even ended up winning the Jack Adams Award during Nathan McKinnon's rookie season. He then decided to dial Patrick and ask how his retirement days have gone across the U.S.-Canada border. Well, also alongside that conversation, Uncle Lou realized that they had a coaching vacancy and volunteered to offer his old pal a retirement plan if he wanted to give it a one more go with the young and exciting Oz Punch, which ended up being an opportunity to Patrick that he couldn't just leave on the table. The only condition was that he wanted to do it old school. No whistles and no bullshit. Pure hard work and few fucks flying around the ice every two seconds. To this, Uncle Lou said, we have a deal. And so began the next chapter in the Islanders' tales. So yeah, that's the quick sum up of Lou's past two years in the Allspeak office, and at least to this point we haven't seen any massive changes in their performance, especially compared to the Oz who decided to change their coach earlier on this year and just ended their 16-game win streak. So we'll see how long this love story continues between the two old dogs and if Rua has really found another side to himself while coaching and leading the Gebe Krempars junior team, because at least I have my own presumptions, and based on their lack of changes and current aging core, I am not expecting any massive changes to their outcome in the final half of the regular season, but we'll see if Rua ends up being the right man for their locker room, and if they end up fighting their way back in the playoffs in a typical, unfashionable Islander style. But I hope you enjoyed this quick story session because it's now time to return back into reality and move on to the other coaching change that happened on the other side of the North American continent. So as I mentioned in one of the previous episodes, the Hollywood drama had made its way into the Crypto.com arena when the NHL returned from its Christmas break and the LA Kings had begun to mimic Lisa Ann with the way they were taking it up their trunk to start off the new year with the right attitude. 
So eventually, after going 3-14, Kings GM Rob Blake threw in his towel as he told their head coach Todd McClellan that he had seen his final minutes behind their bench. And so was the former Stanley Cup winner once again unemployed and willing to take offers from anyone that was missing a main man from behind their bench. And at this point, I gotta say that, yes, McClellan couldn't guide his team past the Oils in back-to-back years in the playoffs and under his command that team just completely lost its footing. And part of that is his responsibility, but while saying that, I gotta go back to Drew Doughty's comments and say that there are bigger issues inside their locker room right now than their head coach. And in this case, McClellan just ended up being the collateral damage within all this drama that currently surrounds the team premises. And it is usually the easy way out approach when you fire the head coach. And I ain't saying that McClellan shouldn't take responsibility for his team's actions. But the NHL locker room should be full of professionals who all care about winning more than anything. But if you got guys counting their points and discussing about Taylor Swift's new album during the power breaks, you gotta realize that the cancer is already spreading and there's sometimes very little to do if you can't get that shit out when it appears for the first time. So yes, getting a fresh voice inside the locker room might help in the scare straight phase, but eventually the change has to start from within each of their players, so I'm really intrigued to see how their situation develops from this point on, because after all, they had a very solid start to their campaign and were still seen as one of the stronger playoff teams ahead of this year's regular season. After all, they got the firepower, skill, speed and veteran leadership to turn things around, but the questions remain. Where and when does it start? But also, one should wonder if P.L. Dubois alongside his teammates can change the trajectory during the final portion of the 23-24 campaign. Could and should Plague's position be in question after so many questionable moves and failures to guide this team further into the playoffs under his lead and watchful eye. So a big final third ahead for the Kings, and I'm also intrigued to see who Blake chooses to lead this team towards the playoffs for the rest of the regular season action. But that is all for the coaching drama. Next, we will move on to the trade front, where we've seen two quite sizable deals involving the Flames, Canucks, Habs, and the Jets. And we will start off by analyzing the deal between Calgary and Vancouver, which show multiple pieces moving between the two Western Canadian teams. The main piece of this transaction was Swedish centerman Elias Lindholm, whose extension talks with the Flames front office had freezed down, and the rumblings about a possible relocation had already started during the offseason because of his upcoming UFA status, and due to the overall turnover the Flames went through on their front office side last summer. Now though GM Conroy had received a trade offer he wasn't willing to deny and the Swede was headed to the Canadian West Coast in exchange for forward Andre Kuzmenko, whose sophomore season in Vancouver hadn't gone according to plan and thus his overall ice time had decreased quite significantly since coming to the league in the summer of 2022. But now he gets a fresh start in Calgary and so far his impact has been noticeable on their top six and even though he has played just a handful of games with his new team, he has already found chemistry with Jonathan Huberdeau and the two have combined for seven points in the span of just three games. So a promising start for the Russian who as well has been on the trade headlines ever since the start thanks to his underwhelming offensive numbers with the league late in Vancouver Canucks. 
Alongside Kuzmenko, the Flames also received two DM prospects in Joni Jormo and Hunter Prusevich, in addition to Vancouver's 2024 first-rounder and a conditional 2024 fourth-round pick, which could turn into a third if the Canucks manage to get themselves to the conference finals. We've seen steady development from Jurmo in the Finnish Liga and in the best scenario he could turn into a solid bottom pairing option on the next level due to his solid skating ability and a well-rounded 200-foot game. Meanwhile, Brusevich is currently feasting in the OHL with 71 points from 5-1 contest and due to his great offensive attributes, he could turn into a very solid power play specialist on the next level if he's able to develop his defensive game because at this point he's just an offensive dynamo without any inkling of how to actually play defense. So decent upside on both of those guys, but pretty much this was just a one-on-one trade spiced up by a one first-rounder. That more than likely is going to be a late one since I can't see the Canucks missing the playoffs at this point. But a first-rounder is always a first-rounder, even in a weaker draft class. Lindholm as well has registered two Genos on the board already for the Canucks and is still finding a spot from their overall lineup, but given his great offensive seasons and status as one of the league's best penalty kill specialists, I think he's going to bring a lot of value for the Canucks punch that is aiming for a long stand in this year's NHL postseason. The question still remains if the Canucks aim to hold on to him or if in the end he will remain as just a rental but I would be surprised if the Canucks would just give up those assets in order to hold on to him for just a couple of months. And therefore, I believe that Lindholm's native countryman Patrick Alvan aims to keep him in the Western Canada and sign him to a lengthy extension around the same mark Bo Horvat got from the Isles just a year earlier. So we'll see if this ends up being a win-win deal for both parties and if Kuzmenko ends up being the missing piece from Hubi Dubidu's point puzzle. The other trade that concluded a couple days later to the Lindholm one included another Canadian duo as the Winnipeg Jets acquired centerman Sean Monaghan from Montreal Canadiens in exchange for their 2024 first and 2027 conditional third-round draft pick, which is tied to Winnipeg winning the Stanley Cup in 2024, so we might as well just count it as the 24 first. Sorry, Jets fans. And yes, to many this deal seems pretty one-sided when you see the overall package, but I have to remind you that Monaghan is on pace to break the 50-point mark if he's able to stay healthy and ever since joining the Habs in 2022 has been on a 60-point pace with two major injuries holding him back from reaching that, so he ain't just an add-on by any means and can bring a lot to team's offense when deployed correctly in a middle six role. In his first three games, he's been held without points, which has brought lots of criticism to Kevin Sheveldayoff and his most recent trade, but it's not all on Monaghan since the team's recent performances haven't been that admirable in the first place, and ever since ending their eight-game winning streak on January 13th, the team has gone 2-5-1 in the last eight games and is currently on a five-game losing streak, so you really can't put the blame on their front office and more so, I would just start to look at the players who have started to crumble just like last year at the exact same time. And for their sake, I truly hope that they can turn this thing around soon enough because to this point they've had an outstanding season in the big picture, so it would be a shame if they start to bottle it so close to the postseason and this way completely wreck their chances for a long postseason run. 
But from the Habscope, I couldn't be more thrilled about this deal because back in 2022 when Monahan was traded to the Habs, the Flames actually gave up their first rounder in order to shed his calf somewhere else. So when you acquire two first rounders for a middle six centerman, I think you couldn't ask for much more. So I gotta tip my cap to Kent Hughes and his ability to work the market the way he's been doing ever since taking over the front office of my dear Le Habitans. Monahan was hands down one of the more visible players on the Habs lineup this year and truly drove their offense when the combo of Suzuki and Caulfield was sitting on the bench. So I believe that once the Jets stop their current downswing and hopefully start to prepare for the postseason, their fan base is going to learn what Monahan can provide for their team. But at the same time, I can't lie to you and tell you that this wasn't an overpayment on all books and counts. But Usually when the deadline starts to close down on teams, GMs start to desperately look for changes which results in quite massive overpayments and because of it, I can guarantee you that Monahan won't be the only guy being linked to this sort of a mindset because I can easily imagine for example Phillies defenseman Sean Walker in Washington's bottom six centerman nicked out getting the Flyers and the Caps similar packages to this one as teams start to activate more on the league-wide trade front. Those are pretty much my thoughts in regards to these two trades and as I said, I fully believe that we will start to see even more changes in the next upcoming weeks because the deadline is already less than a month away and as we saw last year, the deadline is just a marker before which teams want to make their moves. So given all the uncertain link to multiple franchises plus the complete UFA class of 2024, I fully believe that things will start to heat up in no time and I'll be covering all the big trades that will take place in the next upcoming episodes. The waiver front as well has seen some action in recent weeks, and names that have been claimed from the open market include Adam Rusicka, Teklon Chisholm, and Braden Pahal, in addition to Nick Bonino, Nicolas Bodan, and Leon Gawank, who all entered the waiver market for the purpose of mutual contract terminations. The Yotes ended up acquiring the big Slovak from Calgary. Meanwhile, Minnesota took a flyer on the left-handed blue liner Chisholm. And finally, the Flames claimed off the right-handed defenseman Pahal, who had previously represented the Vegas Golden Knights, who so far have been pretty busy on the waiver front as well. And in addition to these, veteran forward Jack Parisi ended up joining the Avs for the back half of the NHL campaign. And finally, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who had given a professional tryout to a former lottery pick Jesse Puljujärvi, decided to ink him to a two-year, one-way contract, so the Bison King himself got to stay in the big league after recovering from his off-season surgery and after convincing Carl Dubas and his staff with his strong defensive-minded playstyle. And on top of that, the Worm aka Corey Perry ended up signing with the Alls if I hadn't mentioned that in previous episodes, and Shane Pinto also made his season debut with the Sens after serving his 41-game suspension, which he received from illegal gambling. But those have been the other miscellaneous headlines that have been submerged into all this other noise, so I wanted to update you on those as well, just so that you are on pace when it comes to more minor roster changes that doesn't necessarily earn the big headlines and might just slip by you because of it. And the only thing still remaining before we close the book on this week's episode is the Canadian U20 sexual assault scandal, so let's head there next. And first, let's trace back our steps a bit because a brief history lesson is in place in this case due to the fact that this certainly 
ain't the first time Hockey Canada has been facing these types of allegations, and because of it, has even established a fund reserve for these sorts of events, if and when the shit ends up hitting the fan, and they have to silence people in order to keep their hockey train moving on its tracks. So this scandal dates back all the way to 2003 World Junior Championships, where two names from the Canadian silver medal team were linked to an investigation of a group sexual assault, which was then swept under the rug after the allegations had not been proven in court. In 2019, another criminal investigation was launched following the Hockey Canada Foundation charity golf event, where four players were under investigation for sexually assaulting a 20-year-old woman following the charity event in a close-by London Delta Armouries hotel. Back then, the London police had closed the investigation without laying charges according to the source due to the fact that Hockey Canada had refused to investigate or reprimand the players in question. But only a couple weeks ago, the London police announced that five players that had been involved in the 2018 incident were told to surrender to London police. And with this announcement, all the past came up with it and even Hockey Canada had reacted to it by hiring a third-party investigator to look into the 2003 allegations last year. And if you haven't heard already, the fireplace linked to the 2018 sexual assault case are pretty well-known NHL names and overall hide graphics from a couple years back. The full list includes Flyers goaltender Carter Hart, Devils defenseman Callum Foote and forward Michael McLeod, Calgary's forward Dylan Dupe and Ambru Biotas, young forward Alex Formenton, whose rights still are owned by the Senators who drafted him back in 2017. All players in question quietly tried to fade into the backdrop a couple weeks back and went public stating, either that they had to take a leave of absence due to mental health reasons or in order to deal with personal matters, but as we've now learned, that is total bullshit. And if teams are somehow involved in this, have to take responsibility for being involved while trying to master player steps in this entire process. Last week it was announced that it was estimated that the process could take up to almost two years to unfold, so In the worst case, this could mean that at least four out of five suspects could be banned from NHL hockey and the United States alone due to the investigation. And since it's been so long since the incident happened, I'm willing to accept the fact that there could be something that leads into some sort of punishments when it's all settled, because usually you don't drag the investigations this long without any hard-proven evidence. In recent years, multiple Hockey Canada endorsers have withdrawn their support after learning all about the chaos that currently surrounds the Canadian Hockey Federation. And what makes matters even worse is the fact that Hockey Canada has used general funding in order to prepare itself for these sorts of emergencies. And the information leaked to public in 2022 when it was reported that Hockey Canada had maintained a reserve to pay for uninsured liabilities, including potential claims for historical sexual abuse. This fund consisted of approximately 50 million US dollars and was diverted from player registration fees to fund and to pay out settlements in cases of alleged sexual assaults without insurance companies and with minimal outside scrutiny. And only a week later after the public was made aware of the reserve fund, 
Another aspect was revealed that stated that Hockey Canada had spent $8.9 million to settle 21 individual sexual misconduct lawsuits in the span of multiple years, if not even decades. So it's easy to say at this point that this isn't anything new, at least to the Canadian insiders, and we can all agree on the fact that this is a systematic problem and that a thorough investigation should be in place for not only the 2018 incident alone, but also an investigation into dealings of Hockey Canada, who has started to lose its foothold on the global hockey community. Add to that the fact how ridiculously the expenses have gone up in the Canadian junior hockey, and we might be in for a pretty tasty lawsuit at some point if people start to take back what they've given to the organization that has used some of its funds for safeguarding its own reputation from the watchful eye of its supporters. So, in conclusion... I truly hope that we can get a stop to this and the perpetrators get what they deserve following the investigation. And if it means losing your job and your career as an NHLer, then so be it. And the same goes for Hockey Canada as well. I wish to see some real backlash for their actions as well. So all in all, this could mean that all five players are ineligible to play in the NHL for two years until the investigation has completed and jury has come to its decision, and even after that, a return back to the NHL could not be an option. So it is going to be interesting to see what the outcome ends up being for the guys that decided to use their status to their advantage, and in the aftermath, might have just ended their NHL careers prematurely. But the case is still fairly wide open, and we won't get any in-depth details about the investigation until it's been concluded, so... I'll make sure to update you on this whenever we get some news from the other side of the Atlantic Ocean because at least I'm intrigued to see what the outcome ends up being for these five players and if their NHL careers have now been flushed down the toilet completely. But that's the set for this week. I hope you enjoyed and once again apologies for last week's situation and if any of the future episodes end up getting moved a bit because I am currently trying to learn the new systems and how to operate them, all while trying to push out new content for you guys each week. I think this change is going to benefit me the most in the long run, and if you're curious, the change that I'm referring to has happened from Microsoft over to Apple once for all, so there is a lot to learn here, and I try to get up to speed with the new systems as quickly as possible, but we'll see how challenging the transition eventually ends up being. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you for taking the time and hope to see you again next time when we encounter another set of topics that arrive from the colorful scenery of the National Hockey League. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.